I'm Paul Higgins, an ex-corporate executive turned business owner who for five years struggled to grow a cloud consulting business whilst battling a chronic disease. With the help of mentors and experts, I got the business model right, built a sales and marketing engine and developed a high-performing team that ended in a successful exit. I received a kidney transplant from a mate and now on my second life, I dedicate my time to helping other cloud consultants scale quickly with less effort to enjoy life. Detecting an accent, I'm an Aussie working globally from Melbourne, Australia. I interview successful cloud consultants sharing their scaling stories to give you inspiration and practical tips. I have dedicated experts for cloud consultants on the show to save you time and money by working with the right people. If you want to scale quickly with less effort to enjoy life, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hi, I'm Paul Higgins and welcome to the Cloud Consultants Show, episode number 471. Today's topic is building an app on the Salesforce App Exchange and you will learn why use an outsourced development team and how to work with them, different types of apps being either hybrid or native, uh, the best way to work with Indian developers where Andy has got immense experience from that, but he has worked in uh, particularly the US and in India. And finally, how artificial intelligence and machine learning will expand. He gives a score out of 10 at the moment and where he thinks it's going to be in the next couple of years. If it's your first time, welcome. And if you love what you hear, please subscribe. It's for cloud consultants where people consult and go and implement or deploy SaaS platforms. So if that's you, you're in the right place. And if you're a regular, thanks for your support. I'd love to hear from you. Email me at paul at paulhigginsmentoring.com. Let me know you're listening. And most importantly, suggest some topics or suggest some guests. And that may include you. Always really appreciate those that do. So I want a quick shout out to Kerry Gunn, who did recommend Andy for the show, which was great. And you can get all the summary in the app that you're listening to now, but also at paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash podcast. It's episode 471. And before we go into the interview with Andy, I'd like to thank our sponsors. The first is the Cloud Consultants Collective. It's the world's only revenue-focused collective for cloud consultants, peers answering business questions for other peers, much better than Google or YouTube. Why don't you try it for yourself at thecloudconsultantscollective.com and you can join free and the other one is SendSpark. So it's a fantastic personalized video platform, brilliant for sales. It allows you to have a core video that's personalized and then also have other videos that you can attach. Why don't you go check it out for yourself because it's free to do so. You can get a free six-month trial at paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash SendSpark. Today's guest is Andy Geary. He's an IT entrepreneur with over 35 years of experience. He completed his bachelor's at a college in Chennai, India, and then a degree in computer engineering from the University of Maryland in the US. And he started Soft Square back in 1997, and it was originally an IT staff augmentation firm. Sorry if I can get that right. And then he pivoted towards more managed services in 2018, 2008, I should say. And now he is driving product best practice and he does uh, builds fantastic apps and he goes through an example of one that he's built, but that's what he does, builds apps on um, app exchanges and he's very active both in the Tamil community. He's also active in investing in startups through Native Angel Network 
and some others. And he's just an all round fantastic guy. He runs a great team. And you're going to love this interview with Andy Geary from softsquare.biz. So great to have you here, Andy. My pleasure. Yeah. So look, you know, you've had a long time. Obviously, you started very young in your life, a long time within the IT industry and in particular within Salesforce of late. So we're going to dig into that in a little bit more detail soon. But why don't we start with what clients you love to work with at the moment and what problems you love to solve for them? Okay. Basically, we enjoy doing digital transformation problems or solving them. Clients who use legacy databases, who use spreadsheets, not necessarily paper because the paper is gone for the last uh, 20 years at least. Yeah. Those that have tough problems to solve and want to leverage the Salesforce ecosystem for solving those problems. We are very specific to Salesforce. Uh, of course, the plant has so many other SaaS solutions. We can't go and learn every one of them. And this is the top one in the uh, mid-sized business to growth business. And that's where we dealt. Right. And with Salesforce, are you, you know, all of the cloud products or you, you know, focus on? Most of them. Sales cloud, service cloud, consumer goods cloud, marketing cloud. These are the yeah. top ones because we have to dance to the market, right? We can't say we just do this. We can, but we are not that, that deep specialized at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll sort of dig into it a little bit more, but. My understanding, you've sort of got the services arm and then you've got the product arm as well. So just tell us a little bit about the difference between those two. Okay. As many of you know, services is a low barrier entry point. So in fact, before services, we were doing staff fog in uh, about 15, 20 years back. And then I didn't like that because there were ethical barriers I had to jump across. And I didn't like unethical means of uh, running a business. So I moved away from that to uh, project consulting. And uh, we were doing project consulting for OS Commerce, BHP, BHP New, all kinds of different things. And I said, I was advised by someone saying that you should focus. Yeah. So we started focusing on a product and I chose SAP and Salesforce way back in 2008. So wanted to pivot to one of these two or, or specialize in one of these two. And I started learning both. And I got my first consulting assignment uh, with Salesforce. And I was lucky enough to pick Salesforce because that was the up and coming uh, company while SAP was already well established. So it was difficult to get it, to break it. So got into Salesforce and did services for about three years. And we slowly and steadily built a practice based on Elance, which is currently Upwork. So all very small gigs, I mean, from $800 to $10,000, we range, the range was. And then we would even develop code or configuration, put it on, not publish it, but say we have done this piece for you and then win the project and then go ahead and do it. So that's how we did our services. And then I had a product manager, a product manager at that time, who eventually is our product GM, his name is uh, Nixon Brito. He said, okay, uh, we have some product ideas, let's start developing. And then we built some products, but they were not really commercial. We just put them free on the app exchange. Uh, a couple of them were, were commercial, but we didn't do any marketing, no branding, nothing. So they didn't move much. And then the last couple of years is when we uh, decided to do stronger commercial products. And uh, we are going strong at the moment or building it up. It, it is yet to scale to a larger level. Right. And in those commercial products that you do, do you do them for yourself? And do you also do them for other Salesforce partners as well? Correct. In fact, our services, if you want me to explain a little bit about our services business, 
Our service business has two pieces. One is SI, which could be consumer goods cloud or marketing cloud or sales cloud mostly, and some service cloud too. And then Pardot and uh, CPQ and other B2B commerce, those components of the Salesforce ecosystem. And then the other piece that we have, which is almost 50% of our business, is product building for others. So ISPs on the app exchange, they have business ideas or they have built something to a certain piece and they want a hybrid team with a certain amount of cost um, optimization. They come to us and say, hey, I need this thing built. Can you do a estimate for this piece to be built? Sometimes they come where they have developed something, but they can't push it to the, through the app exchange security review, just kind of regress. So they come to us and we build those products for them or get them ready for the app exchange, list them, and help them with the uh, other processes beyond the Salesforce uh, development and then our deployment of the app. So app building is a major part of our practice and our ISV capabilities also gel into this, right? Our teams have internal communication and learning and best practices, which we apply to our clients when we build those apps for them. Yeah, and then so, it's been a while since I've built an app myself or consulted for apps, but I, I know in the old days it was, you know, people had great ideas but not a lot of money. That is a general rule and, you know, they used to say, hey, you know, like, yeah, we'll give you, you know, equity share or whatever it was, you know, what, what's your model in how you help people get products or okay. apps to initially the app, we app started, exchange? Yeah, initially we started with equity share when we had money in the in the, in the pie <laughs> uh, or substantial amount to invest initially. But nowadays we do a, a deal, except for one that we do, uh, we generally build the client and um, basically they start with a fixed cost estimate of something and we built one for Citrix and they said, okay, it costs them $10,000 to do a bridge. So let me explain. There are two types of AppExchange products, hybrid and native. Hybrid products are those that already have been established as a SaaS platform, either established or just built. And then Salesforce front-end to that SaaS platform is, is what's called a hybrid product because it's not, the IP is not in Salesforce, the IP is in theirs. Yes. And it work, the actual grinding is done in their app and we provide a UI in Salesforce, not like an iframe, but more deeper UI. So they have an admin panel, they have some screens, which will do some work on their platform and throw back the interface or give the user interface to a Salesforce customer who wants to leverage another SaaS cloud or SaaS product. So that we do, that's called a hybrid. Native products are actually the most cash generating for us because they need their, their IP, the client's IP is right there in Salesforce and we build Salesforce apps very similar to what you would build Node.js or Java or PHP or any kind of app, right? So you need a deeper knowledge of the system and it's built right there on the Salesforce platform, on the Lightning platform. And we help them build those apps and go through the entire process of development. And it's a recurring revenue for us because anyone who builds an app, scales the app and builds it and improves it, otherwise the product will be dead, right? So the dependence on us and our uh, attachment with the customer is stronger when it yeah. comes to a native app. Yeah, and I, you know, I talk to a lot of Salesforce partners. You know, that's my job sort of every day to, you know, either talk to them, coach them, interview them like I'm interviewing you. And a lot of them say, you know, services difficult as we all know, the margins are tight, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, we've got these great ideas for product, but they're like, but I don't really know how to do it. You know, like it's, I've got, a, I've got a concept, but people even ask me, like, you know, who do you know that, that does this? And, you know, 
take us through maybe a, an example. You don't have to name the company, but you know, from that initial idea stage to I think I can commercialize this product to, you know, grow revenue outside of my services to actually getting it mark to market. You know, give us a just a quick overview of of how that happens. Okay, so there's a app exchange app called New Law. It's a lawyer CRM, so meant for legal business, primarily in the United States. I think there's some sales outside also. And they wanted to build an app about three years back. And they came to us saying, hey, we have the business requirements. We have a product manager. You provide us a technical architect and the technical uh, lead and the, a bunch of developers to get that done. So we started doing, they, they have, we had a, a scrum board. They uh, chose Gina. They would uh, uh, collaborate with our team to build the app. And uh, it's been ongoing. They, so it's not only the build of the app that we support this customer, we also have got a deal to do their SI services. So yes. over and above the uh, building of the app and uh, the delivery of the app and constant enhancement to the app, we also provide SI services for that app to their customers. We also have a weekly uh, meeting with, with this client to actually properly deliver those to their clients because it's their client, which they're giving to us. And we need to make sure we deliver this product properly or configure it properly for the customer. Data migration is, is a very important piece, right? Because they, they would be using a competing uh, legal product that they want to move to uh, this new uh, app. And uh, one thing I forgot to mention is some apps on Salesforce are built on top of Salesforce platform. They are not enhancements of sales cloud or service cloud. So they built like you build a, a Node.js app and deploy it on AWS, similarly, or Azure. And these products are built on Salesforce platform using Salesforce's own proprietary technology and then deployed. So in this case, it's called OEM. So this is an OEM app that we support. I'll explain the other option in a subsequent. Yeah, great, great. And and look, uh, I think that is that... Uh Kerry Gunn, who's Kerry Gunn, yes. yeah, yeah, great, and and so how how validated was their idea when they came to you? Like, you know, what have they done to to validate to market validation of the idea? The business side validation was completely done by them. Our capabilities are lesser on the business validation of the app. I think that was three years back. At the moment, I think we have more knowledge, but we are not business consultants in that sense. Yes. Uh, our strength is more technology or building apps for the app exchange. But then we have, we know, there's something called app analytics that ISVs, Salesforce ISVs use. And we had to teach some of our larger ISVs, say, hey, this is a feature that Salesforce is giving. They're giving you user adoption. They ask, they're giving us information about who or, or how many users use this component within this time frame, right? They give a lot of analytics because currently they give CRM analytics licenses. Yes. And we use that to effectively Go and do, let's say we go to a customer success session. We tell the customer, hey, you know, we have so much adoption of our app. Uh, and how many more users? We see so many, so much traction. We would like to know what you want more in our product, right? So those, it helps a lot. And we build some tools around app analytics to make it more friendlier to the ISV. And we actually in the process of executing that piece for one of our bigger ISVs now. So and apply it the NAS, yeah. Yeah, and okay. how long did it take from when they first met you to go to market for a new law? Oh, yes. Uh, it was about a couple of years yeah. to uh, get to that level. 
And for you, what what do you so working with so Kerry and, and New Law? What, what do you find the piece that is critical for them to get right? You know, obviously, like you said, the business case is outside of, but working with your teams, what makes a really good partner to work with versus a not so? Okay. Very importantly, clarity of requirement, right? If the client has a reasonable amount of detail and knowledge of the product that they want to build and market acceptance of that, then our job becomes easier. But easy is always not the best, right? So the more tougher problems are no more Hazy it is, it is um, more challenging and more rewarding for our team to learn and go. But there's also risk, right? We, we are primarily offshore, which means we don't have direct communication as much as the leaders, right? I travel a lot and I meet every one of my clients. My team members may not in all cases. So it, clarity of requirements has become very important. And then how they treat the people, right? So some clients are not sensitive to time zone differences. They would expect people to be there during the, those hours and I avoid such customers because there are tools. It's always PPT, right? Process, people, and tools. So if you use the right tools and the right process, it's not impossible to run an offshore uh, operation or align with an offshore team. And some clients, it's tough to teach them and it's become difficult. But we try our best to make sure they align with us to some extent. And also, yeah, treating your people well matters a lot because people have multiple uh, initiatives that they have during the day or multiple tasks and then they would choose a customer who treats them well right so it's all human finally yeah and yeah. beats us so it looks like a lot of the code can be done by chat gpd notice <laughs> if you explain what you want yeah well i know you studied a lot in the, the u.s you you know you spend some of your time now in the u.s but mm. also in india what do you see is the biggest cultural differences between the US and in India, and I suppose in the context of working with the development team? Actually, it's not greatly different. Uh, uh, the education system in India is not too bad, but there is a lot of training we have to do to an uh, entry-level developer in India because the inexperiential learning is a little bit lacking in some of the colleges, so it depends on where they have gone. So US and India are very well aligned nowadays in terms of culture or company culture, except that Indians are very hierarchical by nature, I think, by cultures. And that's a little bit difficult to beat because I don't like hierarchy. I don't like these yes men and sir and yes. things that I have learned from the U.S. that uh, should not be there. But so uh, that's something that's difficult, right? Uh, because you have to align with the local culture. You can't go and push it down anyone's throat, regardless of where they are from. So... Yes. That's one thing that I would like to improve. But otherwise, in terms of uh, work ethic, the, with reasonable training, people learn from their customers as much as they learn from, from their peers. Yes. So, yeah. And there's always people who are achievers, some that are uh, try to lie low, but some who try low are also good, right? So it depends on how we can tap them and uh, grow them as a career and not just a job. So yeah, that, that, yeah. Yeah, and... You know, my experience is we had a small development team in the Philippines, but most of mine was more non-development skills in a, into all around the world, particularly in the US and mm -hmm. Australia. So that was my experience. And yes, I found that, um, you know, the Philippines are very hierarchical and, mm -hmm. you know, they're very family orientated. So they're sort of the two key traits. And yes, I found where 
you know, different cultures and different people didn't really respect. And it was less of a cultural thing. It was just a personality thing where if you didn't respect, like you said, those two key things or didn't realize it. I remember the first time I had a, a meeting and I came from Australia where, you know, we generally call it how it is. And uh, I said, okay, we're going to have a workshop on how to improve the business. And uh, I sort of said, okay, so we'll go around and everyone will give their thoughts like I wouldn't, you know, when I was the director at Coca-Cola, I just thought that's, you know, that's fine. I'll run a workshop. I run millions of them and no one said a word. I'm like, anyway, long story short, it was like, well, it's disrespectful to talk about things that should be improved in front of the boss, right? That's not what you do. So I had to find different ways to get that information out, right? And I think, yeah, often, I think the fear of, Going offshore is often overstated. I think it's much better experience than most people think it's going to be because you always hear the bad stories, right, of the things that went wrong. You never hear all the good things about the things that, that went right. So I think that's definitely part of it. But, um, yeah, I think that hierarchy and not wanting to directly give feedback that might be negative, I think is, you know, that's definitely in the Philippines and I get the feeling that that's similar in India. Yeah, that's very similar, right? It's uh, it's difficult to explain negative things to people. Sometimes they take it personal, but it depends on your relationship, right? How yeah. you build the relationship with the person. So if you just go and snap with them, then obviously, regardless of culture, people will be upset, right? So those are things that we learn. Learning is a is a lifelong exercise, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> and I think that's where your skills great that you've you know spent time in both, right? So you've got that that beautiful blend. Uh, help it smooth out and like uh, when you know new law came and approached you how, how did they find you in the first place how, how did they pick you as a partner versus you know anybody else no okay through a reference actually most of our clients at the moment are have been acquired through reference or through elance so it's it's mostly reference in terms of product clients but in terms of si we've got a lot of traction with um, aes particularly in india space because india is digitally transforming after COVID, unfortunately. So th- there is a lot of projects that Salesforce introduces us to. And uh, th- th- that's the finest channel I've seen when it comes to SI. So yeah. align with EEs and they'll throw a lot of work at you. Yeah. And and any tips on how you oil that wheel better, right? Because everyone's got a different view of doing it. What's your version of how you get the AEs to uh, provide you a disproportionate share of those leads? It's essentially about relationship and how your quality of deliverable is. Initially, it used to be like when I tried 10 years back to attract AEs, I would, we would go to trade, me and my ops VP would go to uh, conferences, try to attract their attention when the SaaS had not really bloomed, right? It's bloomed in the US and probably some parts of Australia and UK and Canada and other places, but not in India. So it's difficult to sell relatively more expensive software. CRM software to customers in India and we tried hard. So at that time we attract the attention of the AEs, but we were a small team. So for them, we were probably not big enough. And then once we have scaled to a certain extent, now they see the quality of deliverable and then the reputation that we have got and success. Uh, of course, there are challenges, right? Because if, if you spend a lot more than what you committed for to a client and you deliver, they're very happy. But then we we have negative cash flow, so you got to balance the, yes. the the budget properly, right, for each project and and attain success. So it's it's a tighter game. Uh, billables are lower here, so obviously we we'll have to be really tight to make sure we have some little margin left 
if not a, a loss. So yeah. that's sort of tough. But, um, yeah, your quality is what speaks. Right. And, and, you know, speaking of, you know, Indian talent, uh, once again, my, my main reference is in the Philippines where they continue to educate and continue to put people in as normally, thankfully, enough, enough people. And often people would say to me, hey, I'm looking for this particular person. I'm like, look, I can find you maybe one of them within the Australian market or I can find you, you know, a thousand of them in the Filipino market, right? So you make your choices to which one you want. So, you know, for you and the the talent that, that you are looking for, like, you know, just tell us a little bit about that. Is like the unis, do they continue to pump out people that, you know, are easy for you to to train or is, you know, is that getting easier or harder? Just give us a bit of an insight into the talent that's, that's uh, available within India. Yeah, I mean, talent is available in all all uh, scales, right? Uh, experienced or meaning entry level versus uh, architect level. The sweet spot we dealt with is college. We go to multiple colleges, about 20, 30 colleges every year to hire about 30 to 50 people. And then uh, some of the, about 60, 70% of them take the offer. They, it's a competitive market. It's, it's, a, it's a seller's market. Uh, typically, except for here and there a few years. And uh, right out of college, and nurture them. They have more uh, commitment in some sense, and they also are pristine and fresh. They're green, right? So yes. we can train them better than cross-referenced, cross-hired uh, individuals. So our success in terms of quality has come because we have nurtured people right out of college who have the fire in the belly, and also the intent to learn and uh, grow along with us. So that that is key to our success, I think. Yeah, yeah, great. And and you mentioned like time zones can be a bit tricky, being on multiple time zones, etc. What else you see that pops up when you know, let's say that you know someone is building something on top of Salesforce, like you said, like New Law, as an example. Mm-hmm. Now, what what are some of the other challenges that you find on a regular basis when you're working with um, partners? So partners bring one important thing, which is they bring the client. So we don't have to go acquire new clients, right? They have the clients and they want primarily development. And in some many cases, they also want uh, admin services in the Salesforce ecosystem, knowledge of the product. So they want uh, cost and scale, right? When it comes to offshore, it's about cost is one factor, which is kind of waning away now. But the other advantage is scale. The number of people who are available in this part, part of the world is bigger. And uh, so that helps out. So in terms of time zone, we uh, Pacific time zone is a bit difficult it, because it's 13 and a half hours away. Uh, Eastern and Central time zone in the US and of course, uh, Hong Kong, Australia, those time zones, it's early. We have to do an early shift. So we don't have a shift basis kind of thing, but um, our people, we can't mix and match people who do Australia with people who do, uh, do US because they're diametrically opposite. So we make sure they have a reasonable quality of life so they don't get burnt in the, in the morning or in the evening. Burnt means uh, getting tired because of a long work day. So in terms of alignment, we try to make sure the team, the entire team does one uh, particular reason support our, uh, uh, our development work versus the other. And of course, process, right? And tools. So if you have the right tools, we give overlap. So every client would get at least three to four hours of time overlap. 
so that they can interact with our people properly. And if they have to get into a call, in some cases we have daily scrum calls. In some cases, two or three. We don't push process down the uh, team, the same process down. We accommodate the client's requests and uh, dance to their process and improve that as much as we can. And tools are important. Many clients would come and say, email, email, email. A couple of months is okay. But then if they wanted to scale properly, then we, we would push them to Asana or Jira or uh, Agile Accelerator kind of tools yes. and make sure that they use them and uh, project manage it. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, I've got team members all over the world and, you know, to me, video has become a fantastic tool, whether it's, you know, use Loom, whether, you know, I use something called SendSpark, but, you know, using video now can replace a lot of meetings where you can have asynchronous communication, i.e., you know, you watch it, you can, you know, repeat back, but you don't actually have to be in a meeting. And I think that, thankfully, COVID, I, th- I think, is, you know, even for the people that weren't up to speed, now everyone's up to speed on that, right? It's, I always joke when, you know, you used to have to ask people if they'd turn the video on, right, before COVID. Now yeah. everyone just automatically comes on with the video on, right? It's it's uh, it's completely changed. And for you, so you've got all those time zones, et cetera. Are your people in an office? Are they working from home? You've got a hybrid model? Like where, where do your teams yeah. live? Uh, we were closed for about two years. We reopened November 1st of 2022. So last four months, we've been uh, doing from the office about 20% of our workforce still at home. I mean, some of them have children in school and various other personal commitments. So we are fairly flexible if they're productive to, so that they can manage their lives from their homes. Uh, some of them come every other day to work sometimes. Some of them come every once a week. So primarily those that we find are productive regardless of where they are. And uh, we are flexible in that sense. But as a culture, we are starting to discourage work from home because interlevel people, we can't train them when they're at home. They, they come out of college, they think it's a nine to five. It's not about nine to five. It's about uh, ability to communicate to the customer. And our customers come at 6.30. <laughs> so US customers come uh, wait, or they come to the to active work around eight thirty, uh, six thirty, seven thirty p.m. our time. So our team has to obviously accommodate a bit of time, shift towards the evening. Interaction is important. Yeah, and you talked about um, the app exchange before. You know, obviously that's where all the marketplace and where it all happens. What what are you what have you seen? Or what are you seeing is probably a better question. What are you seeing is the future of the app exchange and where it's going? Like, you know, if, if I'm interested, I'm a Salesforce partner, I'm listening to Dandy and I'm thinking, I've really, you know, I've got these great ideas for some apps that I want to develop on the app market uh, place, but, uh, or exchange, I should say. What do you see changing? What are the trends? Or you might say, no, look, it's going to be the same for the next five years. I'd just love to get your perspective on, on that. Okay. I mean, automation is the key to any SaaS product, right? Particularly Salesforce, right? Ena- enables automation. Even our, in our own products, we use Office 63 to be sheet. We have email. We have uh, bold sign to e-sign our documents. But they are still in different systems, right? So we tend to automate those for our, our own. And we deploy some of that as part of uh, our tool set, right? So what we uh, have our ISV partners or ISV clients eat our dog food in some cases, as I mentioned, the app analytics and those. So it's important that um, 
automation stays, which is already there. It's been around for more than 10 years. While I think AI enabling AppExchange products yes. would help a lot, including our own products. We are thinking we have a media manager product, which would render in a carousel uh, images, videos, PDFs, PPTs, whatever it is, right? Most of the, the content that's, that customers use. And then we had a requirement to uh, scan a device or some kind of uh, equipment and get the OCR out of it, get the text out of that so that a call center doesn't have to read it and put it, right? The call center rep. So that kind of requirement, if we enable that product to also OCR, that would help, right? We are thinking about how we can differentiate our products with AI. It could be NLP, it could be image recognition, it could be any of the uh, new upcoming trends, right? Yes. So I think we will gain a lot, Apex and products will gain a lot of traction if there is more AI and possibly ML associated uh, enhancements that products, product vendors could build on top of Salesforce App Exchange. And part of it is aligning with the right AI provider, right? Salesforce has Einstein, but that doesn't mean Einstein is a big all in the end all of everything. There is TensorFlow by Google, there is Azure Tools, there is uh, Oracle doing some work. So we need to, uh, IBM particularly, yes. and we need to align and and learn and do the best tool in the market and not just get to use only Salesforce's tools. Yeah, yeah. And and you know, when we talked before about the universities and you know, you're getting fresh grads, which is great out of the university, out of the colleges, right? How, you know, obviously AI it's it's you know, I forget what it the saying, but it's basically like innovation always takes a lot longer than you think, but at the end of it, it comes very fast, right? And AI with chat, GDP and everything at the moment, it's like, you know, I'm using it every day. Most people are using it every day, right? Where we weren't even two months ago. The question is, how are the universities and the students keeping up with the latest development within AI for us, who's, you know, right at the, the cutting edge of it, find it hard to keep up with it? Are you going to have to train your employees on the AI or... Is it, you know, something that the universities are going to do? Uh, it depends on the university, right? If someone had gone to the IATs or any of the premium institutes, then they have more exposure. People who go to tier two town universities or colleges, where we typically hire, uh, we have to train them, right? It also depends on the individual. Some individuals are front learners, some need a job to learn. So it varies. And uh, in many cases, we end up training them in whichever technology they pursue. And we also use conferences for that because we're in a big city, Chennai. Yeah. So there's a new, there's a conference, you imagine, happening in a couple of weeks here. There's SAS Bumi, which is Asia's largest uh, SAS conference, which is happening. It's mostly learning. I'm just going for that for the first time. Yes. So a lot of, there's a, about 600 plus SAS companies which are coming there. So learn from each other. So that exposure we give to our people, which typically they wouldn't get out of college. Yeah, and let's say that full adoptions are 10 out of 10. Where are we in the curve at the moment for AI in your perspective, especially from an app exchange point of view? You know, are we still um, at two or three or are we, you know, where, where are we sitting at the moment? I'd say probably three or four. Yeah. What's the pace in the next two years? Is that going to you know, go up to six to seven or do you think it'll just gradually, gradually increase? I think it has to because that's a way to differentiate your products, right? That the, just the UI and the speed and those things are all 
mundane, I think the more differentiation you have for your product, the more effective you can sell. So, and it's also a buzzword, right? Dot AI is a big thing. So, a part of your branding, if you have some real AI in your product, it helps a lot. Yeah, yeah. And as a general rule, the stuff that you're releasing at the moment, how much AI is in it? Is it, you know, 5% functionality of the functionality, about, 10%? About you know, 10%. About 10%. 10%. A lot yeah. more to improve, but uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, great. Well, look, you know, we've been talking to Andy. He's from softsquare.biz and it's episode 471. And for me, if you're listening to Andy and you've got a product idea, but you may not have the internal team, so you've got the business case, like we said with new law, but you're like, I just, I know that we haven't got the development. And in particular, I always recommend that people don't split now, don't try to retrain the people that you're currently doing your services with. Don't try to train them to be developers. We've all been down that pole. We've been down that path and we know what the outcome is there. But, you know, get in contact with Andy and you can see he's very knowledgeable in the space and uh, he can uh, certainly direct you in the right direction. So, um, Andy, what we're going to do now is the rapid fire where I'll ask you four questions and get your rapid responses. So, you ready for that? Yes, sir. All right, great. So the first one is, what are some daily habits that you do to help you scale your business? Learn, right? So every day is a learning day. Scaling a business is not just about uh, putting money in and investing and doing things for your customers. It's also nurturing your people. So we have been thinking about or planning for initiatives to enhance learning, enhance certification presence, career growth versus job satisfaction, Pay is not the only thing in the world. There is more to a career than just pay and spending. So as I mentioned, I learned from conferences, speakers, inspiration, podcasts like yours, and then applied to some of them to our company's growth. Yeah, brilliant. Well, that covers off the next question is where do you learn more? So you've done a brilliant job in uh, combining those two. So the, the next one is what's one wish? that we could grant you for your business, Soft Square, to scale it? Right. I mean, learning from books is one. Um, I am more uh, flex. Uh, uh, my, my brain takes more from conferences where I see people and hear inspirational content of other achievers who have made it big and learn from them. So it's mostly face-to-face conferences or sometimes Zoom, but uh, I go to Dreamforce, I go to uh, Thai, conferences uh, in Santa Clara as well as in uh, in India. So that's where most of the inspiration and the, and the knowledge comes from. Great. So your wish is uh, you want people to tell you the best conferences, free tickets and free travel. That's, uh, that's what Andy wishes for for, for his business. And the, the last one is, uh, you know, you've been in the industry for a long time because you started very young. But, uh, you know, what do you know now that you wish you had have known early, and in particular around this, you know, product and app space? Um, people management is one that's very important to grow the team and grow your products. Identifying the right people and have them um, leverage your presence, leverage your products, leverage your customers and their talent has been the most challenging and the most uh, learning that I've been doing over the last few years. So... If you get the right people to not just work, but with align with your business ideas, I think that's a really important success. If you are the right people, your customers will swarm around you. Yeah, great. And, and, and how big's the team at the moment, Andy? We're 140, 140. 
yeah, I, I think that's a great way to finish it. As I said, you're listening to Andy from, from softsquare.biz. We'll have all the links, et cetera, in the show notes. But uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed past conversations we've had, Andy. I've enjoyed this one. And, um, yeah, thanks for helping other Salesforce partners, other ISVs get great products to market. So um, look forward to speaking again soon. Thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate your time. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Andy. He's a fantastic person. And like I said, if you've got a product idea, you've got some questions around the App Exchange, maybe launching a product, etc. Andy's a wonderful guy. He's very uh, giving of his time. And yeah, just a wonderful person. Uh, and if you've got other peers that you think are got this challenge where they want to either launch an app or are trying to launch one, please share it with them. They'll love you. They'll think you're an absolute rock star. Check out our solo shows. Also, don't forget our Scaling Blueprint where it shows you what we believe is best practice after doing it myself and also mentoring hundreds of other cloud consultants. And you can see exactly where you are. You can get that for free at paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash blueprint. And as always, please take action to scale quickly with less effort to enjoy life more. Learning is just one piece of the puzzle. It is now time for action. Head to today's show page at paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash podcast. Get the links and put it into action. Head to your favorite podcast platform, subscribe, rate, and review the show. Suggest topics for me to cover at paul at paulhigginsmentoring.com. And don't wait one more minute to gain access to content, especially for you, a cloud consultant, at paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash newsletter. This could be the difference between wasting time figuring it out yourself or scaling quickly with less effort to enjoy life. <laughs>